Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Before we start the show, I just want to mention a few things. That background noise you hear the whole time is our air conditioning. Just happens to be background noise, so don't think too much into it, and I apologize for the feedback if it uh, messes with your sound system or your phone or your car. We do dive into the current situation that's happening around the country with the protest and, and the George Floyd event. If you don't want to hear it, just after... 4656 just don't listen i'm not trying to tell people to not listen to it but our views don't reflect everyone else's we wouldn't expect that to happen but i just want to give a heads up and say no matter who you are no matter who you vote for no matter how you vote or no matter how you you discuss politics or don't discuss them we appreciate you as people and and friends of the show no matter what so i just want to preface that and Here's Cassie. Hi, welcome back everyone, or welcome if this is your first time listening to The Weekly Whitney. I'm joined here as per usual by my lovely husband, Lucas. Hello everybody, and we are still a Bacon Wire podcast. We've been getting some traction with some of the fellow Bacon Wire people, so we'll see if that gets us a little bit of boost since I finally made the Twitter account. Yeah, because, you know, we all love bacon. Yeah, we do. Who doesn't? <laughs> so, we've got a pretty beefy show. We're going to talk about some stuff that Cassie and I have watched lately, and some stuff that Cassie's watched. I haven't really gotten any new, into any new shows or movies. I just really haven't had the time with this podcast and doing Bacon Wire, because we've been pretty busy on that front, too. Yeah, and the weather's nicer, so you've been doing projects yeah. outside the house. Yep, I uh, covered up some overhangs, and hopefully there's no birds up there, and if I accidentally decimated some baby birds, I'm very sorry. But they were using it, as they say in the an other F-shack. guys, as an F-shack. They wrote us a note, and they said, thanks for the F-shack, love, Dirty Robin and the boys. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're going to get right into it. Cassie and I watched a 2005 movie called Fun with Dick and Jane. It's on Netflix, Mm -hmm. starring Jim Carrey and Taya Leone. Yeah, it's just, it's sort of a, I thought it was good for the time, because it it was kind of centered around the, I think it centered around the bad times that we were all having, you know, economically at that time. So, basically, synopsis. Jim Carrey ends up losing his job at the same time that Tia Leone, they're a married couple, loses quit, her job. She quits her job. Yeah, she quit her job because he thought he was getting a promotion and he got fired. Then they're both left jobless in a market where it's not really easy to get a job. And they end up doing some not completely legal things in order to keep their house and everything. It's just sort of a fun, almost like a heist movie mixed with a comedy. But it's a fun movie. And I think it was... I don't know. When I watched it as a kid, I always just was like, oh, Jim Carrey's funny, but watching it as an adult who owns a home, it hit a little bit differently. You know, the idea of losing your house and your job is scary right. as an adult. Yeah, but it, it, it's, it was a good movie. It wasn't one that I will immediately go back to right away. I'm surprised I hadn't seen it. It was it was fine. Uh, I, I'm just looking up the Wikipedia now. I cannot believe this movie cost $100 million. Oh, Jim Carrey. Yeah, it's definitely Jim Carrey's salary, but there's and nothing Alec, in this Alec movie. Alec salary as well, I'm sure. I don't know if he's that highly request back then. That was right before Thirty Rock too. Oh well. I don't. I'm I, not sure. I'm. I don't know how this movie cost a hundred million dollars. You could not tell. It came out in December 2005, so it was a Christmas time movie. It made back its budget. It did all right. No, you like the soundtrack. Yeah, there you was a, one of the songs. There was a song in stuck in my head that I finally found. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's an old one, but it was. It was. It was a good movie. It was entertaining. What song was it? Alive and Amplified by Mooney Suzuki. It's a fun song. Yeah, I give it like a sixty-five out of a hundred. It's nothing special, but it passes. That's how I view it. Yeah. Like if you get above a sixty, you're passing. To where like if I'm bored and you're on TV, probably gonna watch that movie again. I mean, it's decent. I just thought like it was sort of just a fun kind of light movie to watch and. That's all, pretty much. Next up, we watched um, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yesterday, it was on Disney Plus, of course. It still, it, it holds up. Like, I love them. The, you know, that's the first Star Wars movie that I saw. And I grew up with them for obvious reasons. 
and I give it a 90 out of 100. It's It still holds up. There's there's a little bit of drag near the end, which I felt was unnecessary. The movie is still, like, I could not stop I could not keep my eyes off the screen. A couple things that I noticed this time around that I hadn't noticed before was uh, how tan Luke could get living on Tatooine. Yeah. That man looked like he was uh, almost Ross Geller level when he didn't turn around in the spray tan booth. Right. <laughs> so, he's pretty pretty tan. And then uh, we had recently watched, I think we've talked about it on this pod before, uh, the George Lucas Empire of Dreams documentary. Mm-hmm. So, with some of that knowledge about how the movie was made, it made it a little more interesting for me to watch. Yeah. Knowing some of those things. Yeah, and I think you said you appreciate it a little bit more this time, didn't you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a 90 out of 100. It's... It's not a perfect movie, but it's pretty close to, like, a perfect science fiction movie. And you have to wonder what the movie would have been like had James Earl Jones not been Darth Vader. Yeah. Probably would have been a cheesy B-movie that flopped. Well, that was something that was in the documentary, is they originally had this, uh, this other guy. The actor who plays him in body Mm -hmm. did the voice, and it was like a, like a Scottish or a British accent, but it was sort of high-pitched. So it just completely changed the character when, uh... When you get James Earl Jones' voice in it. But yeah, that end scene is about 15, 10 minutes too long. Yeah, like the the transition from Luke being on the Falcon and then joining the um, the Rebellion to, to fly an X-Wing to destroy the Death Star. A little too long. Yeah. Especially with all the crap that happened before it and after it, too. What was that funny thing you noticed, that one pilot... Oh, there's a uh, a fat guy named Jack Porkins. Yeah, the Agent Porkins. And he dies pretty quickly in the in the space battle. I think Darth Vader kills him pretty quickly. So I give it a 90 out of 100. It's pretty much a perfect science fiction movie. It has its flaws, but it's still an amazing movie and still transcends time. It holds up no matter. It holds up so well 40 years later. Yeah, that's great. And I'm going to let Cassie steer the wheel. She watched a couple shows, so she can start. Well, my favorite show, one of my favorite shows, came back to Netflix on Friday. That is Queer Eye. I absolutely love this show. I cry at pretty much every episode. It is just so, especially in times like this, like we're having, it is very, very nice to see other people loving each other and doing kind things for each other and lifting each other up. And I, it, mm-hmm. it always melts my heart every single episode. So, of course, the season is no different. The only thing I think that Queer Eye has done that I haven't really cared for was when they tried to do the Japanese, like they went to Japan. And I, I don't know, having to read the subtitles for something that was so emotional didn't really click for me. I think the show is more of a lighthearted show. So, knowing I had to read the whole thing was a little different. But, yeah, that was really good. And then... You even have watched that with me, right, Lucas? I've watched a couple episodes. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, I also started to watch Love Life on HBO Max. That is a really good show as well. That's Anna Kendrick's show. Um, it's sort of set up as almost like in the future you're watching a documentary, and it centers around this one particular girl and her human experience of love. So it's cool how they set it up. And then each episode is only like half an hour, so it kind of breezes right by, it doesn't drag on for too long, which is something that happens a lot. But yeah, I really appreciated it. It was really good. I'm looking forward to more episodes. That's good. HBO Max has had a lot of uh, criticism thrown its way for right reasons, and it's good to see that show take off. And I know people love the shit out of the new Looney Tunes. Oh, yeah, I haven't it's seen It's the that number one, one show on the platform. I guess we'll have to check that out. Yeah. And um, Cassie and I watched... Fools Rush In. It's not for free anywhere. She re-rented it. Uh, yeah, I checked di- all, the, all the platforms. On we, digital. We pretty much have all the streaming platforms, and it's not available on any of them. Right. It's an old... It's like 1998 or 7. Yeah, starring, 97, I believe. Starring Matthew Perry and uh, Salma Hayek. And it's basically like this, this guy and this girl meet up at a bar, have a one-night stand, and then she's pregnant. And it's kind of about them both kind of finding balance with each other and yeah. compromise well, to to want to have the baby together and get and they get married but then it doesn't really go well for a while after that Selma Hayek is a Mexican woman and Matthew Perry is pretty much white bread as white bread can be 
So they have to come from two different backgrounds. So, right. Yeah. I give it a 70. It's it's definitely a watchable movie. I mean, I think I would have given it a much lower score if I didn't watch Friends before this. Because mm-hmm. then I would have thought, oh, okay, Friends. You know, but Salma Hayek's hot, so it doesn't really matter. She's very beautiful always, yeah. but especially in this movie, I think. Yeah, because it was like 23 years ago. But still, she's still good looking now. I think it's a really realistic love story because it's not just like all like you, you get the initial initial uh, butterflies, but then you have to deal with real stuff like where are you going to live and how are your parents getting along and it's right. realistic. We burned through those topics, so we're going to get to the beefy part. We have been we have a couple of topics that we're going to do, or, or not topics, but we have a couple of different segments slash thoughts that we're going to be doing over the next couple weeks until movie theaters reopen which it sounds like it's going to be tenant still so hopefully july 17th is when this is going to happen i know movie theaters across michigan up north are starting to reopen so i think that's a good sign in the right direction until we can actually sit our butts in a movie theater and watch new stuff we've got to get some content somewhere and we recently rewatched titanic uh it's on hbo max if you don't know Titanic, I don't know what to tell you unless you're a younger kid. If it's, you haven't seen Titanic, you should, just for cultural reference. Right. There's a lot of memes from it, and it is a very, 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 very popular movie, even still. I thought you were going to say long at the end of all those very. It's a very long movie. <laughs> it's directed by James Cameron, who is, in my opinion, the most pretentious director on the planet. And I have actually changed my opinion and agree with Lucas on that because she, I used to think Christopher Nolan was the most pretentious. It's definitely James Cameron. If there's anybody who's out there, you know, doing the South Park sniff your own farts thing, it's definitely James Cameron. It's star he was he wrote it too. He took six months to write it. Leo as Jack Dawson. Kate Winslet as Rose Bucater. DeWitt. DeWitt Bucater or something yeah. like that. Billy Zane is in it as her complete douchebag, asshole, stereotypical, the woman must obey the man boyfriend. I mean, back then, though, that, this, that this was, was the supposed standard. to be 1912. Yeah, back that then. That was what it was. I'm sure President Trump would wish it would be that way. That's a good joke. And it also has Kathy Bates and a couple other popular people, like Alan Parrish's dad from Jumanji's in it. He's the... Oh, he's a dick in He that. was the creator yeah. of the... He was not the architect, but he was a main part of the Titanic and he was a main part of the reason why it hit the iceberg because he wanted to get there a day early yeah as opposed to staying on course and not hitting anything but the main premise of the movie is you know Rose you know Titanic's going from um London or London area Liverpool Liverpool Liverpool. yeah Yeah, they're going from Liverpool to um New York to New York City Leo and his We'll get to his friend in a little bit. His <laughs> friend win tight win tickets from from some uh, Swedish guys, I think. Yeah. Uh, at a poker game, and they get on there at the last second. And Kate Winslet's character is, you know, rich. They're rich. Mm-hmm. They stay in like the equivalent of the diamond suite at a hotel room. Yeah. Like they pretty much can put all. They pretty much move. Like they put all their shit. In these rooms, like all these paintings. Yeah, their artwork goes up. There's even a jab at like Picasso. Like he won't be that famous, and it's just a little joke. Well, yeah, like Rose is like, oh, I love this new artist and how he plays with dimensions, and then he's like, oh, some stupid Picasso guy. Yeah. And also, there's Monet paintings. Like, yeah. Which, if you think about if those things sink with the Titanic, it's pretty sad. Yeah. And imagine if you found them too. Yeah. That'd be something. Rose and Jack meet by chance because Rose, kind of wants to kill herself she is in a position where she is basically forced to marry this horrible man who she she doesn't want want to to marry um but her mother is saying that she has to because of money reasons and like how high that's going to get us in society our dad left us with nothing is what she said to her leo happens to be on the front of the ship when she's about to jump off or the back of the ship excuse me when she's about to jump off smoking a cigarette and he just kind of gives her this confidence to be herself and he I don't think he's a forever type of guy. Well, he says to her if you jump I jump. 
So yeah. basically, if you go, if you jump down there, well, you're killing us both. Right, because he was trying. He wanted to save her from yeah. dying, and you know they fall in love on the ship, and they. I don't even know if I would call it love or if I would call it like lust or a friendship. They did a sex on the ship for sure. Oh, it doesn't mean you're in love. Yeah, they they hit it on the ship for sure. Yeah, in that car. Oh man! Imagine if you were the owner of that car and you had to run and grab something. <laughs> Obviously, the ship was about to sink, but like, if you had to go and get something, you're like, "Why does my car smell?" Why like my car smells so bad? <laughs> and then the ship hits an iceberg, as history knows, at around two thirty in the morning, I believe. And then about two and a half hours later, the ship sinks. Like it kind of bursts at the middle, and splits open a little bit. And it just drags itself down. So when it hit the iceberg, there was holes made at mm-hmm. the bottom of the ship, mm-hmm. and it filled with water. And the way that it filled, there was, like, more cabins below deck on one half of the ship than on the other. So the part with no cabins is the part that filled with water, and mm-hmm. that's why it broke in half, because one ended up being heavier than the other. Right. And it broke in half, and then the other part just basically went in the water vertically, which is pretty disturbing to see and especially if you had a person who was there you know that maybe survived and they they could retell the tale Mm -hmm. the movie is like three hours long and when it came out in theaters i watched it and it had an intermission like right when they hit the iceberg the captain and i think um the creator of the ship are talking Mm -hmm. and they're basically like we're screwed we we can't do anything this ship's gonna sink Right, and then, boom, they did intermission, and then we went to the bathroom and stuff, and then we finished the movie. They tried to avoid the iceberg, obviously, but by the time they could see it, it was way they too were going late. too fast, and the ship was too big to steer that quickly. And even if you slow down, you're still going so fast that even a turn, you're going to run into it. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's not like a boat has brakes. You can... Right. You can stop the engines, but it doesn't mean you're going to break. It was inevitable yeah. at that point. Like, the minute they saw the iceberg, it's like, okay, we're done. Yeah. And the ship, you know, was called unsinkable. So they didn't have enough light boats for everybody. <laughs> it was made out of aluminum, too. That was iron. Iron, sorry, excuse me. Aluminum, yeah, it would have sank the minute it got off the sh- got off the port. Yeah. Yeah, it was made off of iron, and so that was basically inferring that they went cheap on the design. That's well, kind of what the, the architect was saying, is like, we kind of went cheap on it. The, yeah, and I guess the reason for not enough light bolts was because they were afraid of the deck looking cluttered mm-hmm. was their purpose. So they had about half of the lifeboats that they had for the capacity of the ship. Yeah, there's just so many foreshadowing type of lines like Billy Zane agrees, oh yeah, it's too much clutter because he's a white privileged male and he's like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to be saved if the ship sinks. Yeah, he's from like an oil baron family mm-hmm. or something like that. And he had to marry to get his inheritance. Yeah. Obviously, to keep the bloodline going. I think it holds up. It was still an entertaining movie, and I could still get that kind of sense of awe and, like, amazement from some parts. Like, the special effects yeah. are... You can you can tell it's CGI more nowadays, but there's still really good special effects. I'm always amazed every time I watch this on how much I really love it. Even when they hit... The part where they hit the iceberg and they're trying to get everybody together, and the part where Rose has to get... Jack from underneath the ship because he's handcuffed down there. All of that I'm totally on board for. Still very entertained and invested. Pretty much right after that, though, it gets starts to drag. It feels like you're watching these people die for about the actual length that it took them to die. Yeah, it's like an hour of, of the ship sinking. And it gets even more sorrow when like the ship splits in half. And these people are like trying to get to the top, which is the bottom part of the... Or, the back end of the ship and they can't make it and they fall you see a ton of people just decide to jump off the back of it like just committing suicide it's very disturbing but that's well, kind of the you, message too is to in my opinion one of the messages well i mean that's sort of like how would you rather die would you rather you know well because like the one the one guy is having issues with people not being respectful because they're trying to do women and children only on the lifeboats at first and everybody's obviously having mass chaos with it. So one of the officials of the ship, one of the captains, who is trying to create some order, has a gun. And he's yeah. like, I'll shoot you if you come forward. He shoots someone, then he, like, kills himself. Yep. He can't, I mean, I think 
if it were me, I'd probably have that thought too. I mean, if you because they were gonna kill you, like they would mob you and kill you. If you think you're gonna die anyway, I guess you're choosing a shorter death. Right. So I mean, yeah, but that part, I mean, there's some interesting aspects to it, of course. But by the time that Rose and Jack have to go down into the watery part of the boat for a second time, you're kind of ready for it to end. You you just want them to be done, and <laughs> it's it's long. And then I mean, that's not even talking about the time they spend in the water where Jack mm-hmm. unfortunately dies. It's, it's very long, and it's a shame because the rest of the movie is so good and mm-hmm. so watchable, even 20 years later. Like, I give James Cameron a lot of grief, but he can make a good movie. He can make an entertaining movie, yeah. and it can have a good story. It takes him about 12 years to do so, but... <laughs> right. I mean, this is back when he was making movies at a decent clip, but he made Titanic and then nothing for 12 years until Avatar, and now... Nothing for another 12 years until Avatar 2, supposedly, next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, an observation I had about the movie is that I realized Jimmy Jimmy C, Jim, James Cameron, loves water. Like, The Abyss was one of his first movies. It takes place completely in water. Avatar 2, 3, and 4 are being filmed underwater. Like, in tanks and stuff. So it's definitely going to be underwater for sure. Like, at, at least one aspect of the movie. Yeah. And this movie, it's it's basically on water the whole time. Um, something I didn't pick up the last couple times I watched it that I did this time um, was that the whole necklace thing, the heart of the ocean. Um, I thought it was really interesting that it, they said <clears throat> the diamond was heart-shaped or the shape that it was because it belonged to Louis the Sixteenth when he was executed like via guillotine, um, and the diamond got cut mm-hmm. in the guillotine. And that's why it's shaped that way, and that's why even back then it was worth so much money. Right. So that was a cool little history fact, but I like history. Yeah, it was... It, oh, I can't remember what other observations they had, but it was nothing, like, mind-blowing. But, oh, let's get to um, Fabrizio. Ugh, that was hard to watch Leo in, uh, Leo's 2020. Italian stereotype best friend who back then you probably don't blink an eye but now with this in our cancel culture and the woke culture oof it's it's not it's not great and i'm sure james cameron is so arrogant that he wouldn't admit it yeah uh he basically talks like mario from the video games if not worse fabrizio he he literally is like but we have to get to the ship jack like a very very much bad drawn out Italian accent. Yeah, it's it's I literally told Cassie very stereotypical. I told Cassie during the movie, I'm like, this sounds like Mario. Like it just straight up sounds like him. It's a me, yeah, Fabrizio. Yeah. Like it's it's not great. I can't remember what other observations I had about the movie. About forty five minutes too long. I do remember when I was a kid and we had the two VHS tapes of Titanic. The first one I absolutely loved. And then I could only get about a half hour into the second one before I would fall asleep. Yeah, and my friends would come over and watch it just for uh, Kate Winslet's boobs in the the drawing scene. Well, that's the that's the prime <laughs> draw. <laughs> yeah, and to think he got away with that in a PG thirteen movie, that was a yeah, little crazy true. for the for the time. I mean, yeah. twenty years ago, twenty years beforehand, it wouldn't have mattered. You know what's interesting though, if you think about it, the pro- the reason it probably passed was because it's art. It was yeah, it was done for non-sexual purposes. Right. She was naked for the purpose of drawing, and it wasn't for the purpose of sex, which is really interesting. But that's sort of a American Puritan culture for you. Because, like, know? in Europe, they show nudity over all, all the time on public television. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, this movie is rated PG-13, which, again, is parent parental guidance for a 13 and under. And so then they were okay with the children watching, you know, a million people die in the water and be frozen, but they weren't okay with them having sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to mention that I think Leo and Billy Zane are both handsome in this movie. Cassie has other thoughts, but I think they both look pretty pretty sharp. I've never been the type of girl who likes a pretty boy, and they are both pretty boys. They're just different examples of them. <laughs> Leo's very much like the high school pretty boy, and Billy Zane is like the uh, car salesman pretty boy. 
And uh, I will say, Billy Zane has not aged well. No, his hair is gone, and that's a big. That was a big draw for his handsomeness. I can see where people think he's handsome. I mean, he's like got very manicured brows, really full lips, almost looks like he's wearing eyeliner all the time. Do you have any thoughts on it? Or any more thoughts? I don't know. I do think that it was really cool of James Cameron to make this movie in general, just because right. it was a an atrocity, like a very big tragedy that this even happened. You know, those people deserve to be remembered who died on the ship. And we did watch a little, like, 45-minute documentary that uh, National Geographic put out. You um, watched it. I kind of was doing other stuff. Well, the, it was about how in 87 they actually went down, which I think was sort of what the movie was touching on, and, like, kind of um, used the technology to take pictures of it. And then even now they're doing more so of that, which is pretty cool. Just how they can tell more things about the ship, like what actually happened, based on, you know, this little droid basically going down there and taking pictures of it. And what's (laughs) incredible is no one exactly knew where the ship was for 73 years. 1985 was when someone first found it. Remember? Yeah, 87. 87, yeah, that's... That's insane to think about. I mean, I think I think they they had an idea of where it was, like, but I they don't, didn't have I don't the, think the they, equipment to go look. Yeah, because if you think if you remember the movie, you know they had to send out a distress signal with the coordinates, mm-hmm. so you knew it was about that location, maybe you know a few miles here or there, but close to it. And it's um, it's fascinating that the ship's pretty much deteriorating. Yeah. So the stern, they talked about that, and the stern, which I believe is the back of the ship. Um, that was actually in much, much, much worse shape than the bow, which is the front of the ship, I believe. Mm-hmm. Not a ship expert, but sure. The um, the stern was in tatters. Like you could barely tell. That's exactly what it was. So that was because they said, I don't know why, but somehow when it broke apart, it had gone down in a circular motion, mm-hmm. and it had gone that way about fifty miles per hour. Yeah. So the the actual water pressure at that speed is what made it be, like, crumbled. Like, just completely, like, confetti pieces. Like, you know, metal here, metal there, just mm-hmm. just in complete disarray. And then the, the front of the ship, it sort of just went straight down. So it's a lot more, you know, you can tell it's a ship. Oh, that yeah. was kind of interesting. It's just amazing to think about that. Like, not amazing that people died, but it's just, like... I couldn't imagine being in the water and then looking down and seeing the ship just slowly disappear yeah. forever. Yeah. Or for at least, you know, almost a, a whole century. Right. I give it an 85 out of 100. I think it's a still pretty good movie. I agree with that. I just, I really have always, just always thought it is much too long at the yeah. end. And I don't know if that's because I, I would rather leave a movie theater happy than bummed out. <sighs> right. But... I don't think you leave the theater bummed out. I think it ends pretty well. Well. Because she kind of gets to revisit where she met. Like, kind of, she could become the person that she thought she always was. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, if you think about it, like, I mean, obviously these are fictional characters. But had they been real, she would have basically been that guy's wife. And he probably would have beat her to death, like, every day. And, you know, and instead she got to go live this great life. Yeah, she had a pretty good life. That's, so, that's pretty, pretty incredible cool. that she kept the heart of the ocean the whole time. Yeah. I mean, she could have sold that and never had to worry about a thing for the rest of her life. Yeah. And she didn't. She threw it back in the in the freaking ocean when Bill Paxton's like, hey, do you have it? I, I really want it. He's been I looking think, for it for like 12 years or I something. I think she has a money complex because of how she was raised with right. money. Like how it was so important. So she doesn't want anybody to like live that way maybe. Right. But if, you know, if it were me, I would have, on my deathbed, sold it and given the money to my estate and just, you know, given it to my kids and grandkids. Yeah. Like, here you go. This is pretty cool. That's what I would have done, too. But I think I think that she was concerned about what would happen to them if they had that much money. But, man, someday there could, in, in a fictional world, someday there could be some diver searching on the bottom of the ocean. I bet like, there's people looking. Like, oh, look at this. There's just, like... Hundred million dollar diamond sitting there. Yeah. I think I still think it's a good movie. The last hour drags. They could have definitely trimmed it down. 
I still think it's a good movie. It, it holds up. I really think it holds up. I we also did notice, and we looked it up too while we were watching it, that they that he mixed in a good portion of real people and fictional people. Right. So like there was, for example, Kathy um, Bates. She was a real yeah, Molly Brown. Molly Brown was a real person, as was the ship's builder was a real guy too, Thomas Andrews. Another real person that he put on was uh, Benjamin Guggenheim. Who was like I know is the Guggenheim Museum, which I guess that guy was his brother mm-hmm. who started the museum. But Benjamin, unfortunately, died on the ship. A lot of officers, like first, second, third, fourth, fifth, etc., are real in this. Uh, a colonel, a, a cat, another captain too. I mean, that was pretty cool because James Cameron took like six months to research, like the manifests that he could find, yeah, and research these people as well as he could, and integrate them into the movie with it making sense and i think some of the people were amalgamations of other people who were actually on the ship but obviously changed their names for different reasons like jack dawson yes right here uh the real jay dawson was joseph dawson right he was a coal shoveler yep on the ship rose it doesn't say no it doesn't say that she was based on someone real so she might have just been she might just been made up for the movie which is which is fine which I think, I guess, I mean, if you think about it, in 97, it was cool that James Cameron made it a little bit of, like, an empowerment for women's story in that. Right. And that she was, like, obviously, you know, taken advantage of by this guy and pressured from her mother. So, Inter- it, was, it was a neat story. Some interesting, not trivia, but about the characters, Jack Dawson, Leo DiCaprio, people considered were Matthew McConaughey... Chris O'Donnell, Billy Crudup, and Stephen Dorff. Ooh, Stephen Dorff. He's too old. Come off so creepy. Well, he's too old for it, and that's what that's what Cameron insisted. He wanted a young guy, and Leo was like twenty at the time, so it worked out. I could have bought it. I could have kind of seen it, but also I do think that he's how old is he? He's fifty, so he would have been twenty-seven. He's got he's got an arrogance about him, and not in a bad way, in a really good way. But I don't know if that would have translated to like a poor man. Well, Tom Cruise want was offered, but I think his price was too much. Oof, that would have been bad. And Jared Leto was considered for the role, but he refused to audition. Hmm. That's weird. Huh. I could have really seen Chris O'Donnell. That would have been somebody I could have definitely bought. Jared Leto, maybe. He, he's pretty chameleon-like. I think he could have done well. Maybe. I could and, have seen Billy Crudup as well. Yeah, I like. He's just a. He. I like Crudup a lot. For Kate Winslet's character, Rose DeWitt Bucater, Gwyneth Paltrow, Winona Ryder, Claire Danes, Gabriel Anwar from oh from Burn Notice. Oh wow, that would have been different. <laughs> and Reese Witherspoon would have been were considered for the role. They all turned it down. Wow. So I think that, in my opinion, Gwyneth Paltrow is a little bit too much of a wilting flower. Like she's not a uh, quote unquote strong personality. It's not how I see her anyway. Winona Ryder's a little too quirky. Claire Danes is way too quiet. Right. Reese so Witherspoon is okay. probably my favorite actress, but I wouldn't have seen her in this. She's she's way too um, spunky. She would have. She definitely would not have let Cal push her around like that. And even bit, for a second. Oh, sorry. For Billy Zane's character, Cal Hockley, the part was offered to Matthew McConaughey first, which I could have probably bought that better as Cal. He's Rob Lowe mean. was on was on record to having pursued it. So Rob Lowe, I could have seen. I could have definitely seen Rob Lowe, but he's too nice too. That's part of it. Like he's got that dick arrogance to him, but he can also be a very very nice guy. I think Matthew McConaughey's eyes are too kind. Right. That's just interesting. I always like to see like the who could have been as you know we were talking last week about Inception. You know, and Will Smith had been offered and oh yeah. Oh, we that. also talked about. Um, Adam Sandler possibly being the bear Jew. Oh, yeah. That, like that type of stuff. That yeah. always interests me. I think that's a pretty good summary of Titanic. And, you know, while we're on the subject, we kind of want to talk about other blockbusters that we think either hold up or don't. And the first one I'm obviously going to bring up is Jurassic Park. And I think that's a pretty obvious it holds up still. It holds up. And from somebody who, like, I guess I wouldn't have even... I, I love it now because I know how much it means to Lucas, but... As somebody who I guess wouldn't have ever like rewatched that movie as an adult, actually rewatching it, the animatronics that they used for the dinosaurs 
were absolutely incredible. Right. So the fact that I can still watch that today and be, like, maybe, you know, a little bit scared of that dinosaur. Like, for that time, too. Because like, yeah. they started making them in, like, 1991. I mean, it's amazing. They did an impeccable job. It's too bad that that man isn't alive anymore. I Stan Winston? Name. Yeah. Yeah, it, one of the was, most creative people in Hollywood history, in my opinion. The documentaries about Jurassic Park are fascinating, too, because the movie, when they got to Hawaii, it was raining so much. I don't know if there was a hurricane there. I think there was, but like the T-Rex animatronic for the iconic scene where she breaks out of the fence kept like stalling and like freezing and jittering to where they weren't sure they were going to be able to make the scene happen. Right. And it's just funny because Steven Spielberg has another blockbuster that I still think holds up, Jaws. I still think that holds up, whereas he had so much trouble with the underwater sharks doing the same type of thing on him 14 years earlier. I watched that movie as an adult I, I in film school. I hadn't seen it before then. Hmm. Well, was, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I was blown away. It's... I, d- I didn't think I'd like it. I was like, okay, a shark gets a guy. <laughs> cool. But it really was way more than that. It was a really good story and really good effects. Yeah, the, for the time. The whole idea of, like, when a monster movie doesn't show you the monster. Now there's our mascot. There's Oliver. Um, yeah, I watched Jaws when I was a kid, and it scared the shit out of me. And I didn't realize it was made almost, you know, 15 or 20 years earlier. Yeah, but the the monster movie idea of, like, not showing the monster is right. incredibly powerful. What because other movie your, does that? your imagination will think of the worst. Right. So that's, that's brilliant. And, like, this use of the music, too, the John Williams theme is an all-timer. The dun, yeah, definitely iconic. Dun, 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 dun. Um, another, another 90s ahead, yeah. blockbuster... My favorite movie, Forrest Gump. I think it holds up pretty well. I believe it does. There's obviously going to be some stuff, but I think because you're made to feel the whole movie as if it is a history lesson, any of the maybe PC things that you show now, you know, don't really apply because you know it's historical. Right. And, you know, while we're on the subject, i got to listen to part of my take. Maybe you should listen to it, too. There's an interview with Eric Roth, who wrote the screenplay. Oh. He shares what he would have done for Forrest Gump 2. Oh, I don't think there should have been a he, second one. He had a script turned in and ready on September 10th, 2001. Oh, no. They were they were going to do a sequel. Oh. Proposed sequel, yeah. Um, I will also say about that movie, I just think it touches on so many things, like in American history and also in pop culture. Um, it touches on... You know, drugs and disease with Jenny. It touches right. on race and like the Black the Panther Vietnam movement War. and all that. Yeah. And I think it's just so cool to look at all of those things through the eyes of somebody who is completely unbiased. Right. Because let's face it, Forrest just saw people as people. Yeah. And he only it was only like pretty much like how does that relate to me? You know, like when he walked up to or sat next to Bubba, he was like, "Cool, it's a free seat." He wasn't like, "Oh, there's this black guy." You know, and that's why they became friends because he was so open-minded. Yeah, Eric Roth wrote a script called Gump and Company in 2001. It was named after the sequel book. The script was finished on September 10th, 2001, a day before, obviously, 9-11. And Tom Hanks and crew just said, no, it's, let's just, let's call it good. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think a sequel, I think a sequel would have been good if everyone came back. But it would have, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have felt as, it would have made the original a little more diminished. Well, I think it would have just been about him raising his son because yeah, that's what it's that, about. At the end, Jenny dies, and right. you know you're left with those two. So, I I'm gonna submit another blockbuster while she's looking. Terminator Two: Judgment Day absolutely huh. holds up. I don't, have you ever have we ever watched it? I think I've seen it once. I think I had you watch it with me. To be fair, it was released the year I was born. Right. So when I was a baby, I was not watching Terminator 2. <laughs> I still believe it's the best action movie ever made. I love action movies where this action is smooth. Like, I don't like shaky cam. And this movie for the time, I think it was 91. Yeah, 91, you just said it. Yeah. It is mind-blowingly incredible. Like, the effects of the T-1000 versus Arnold still hold up to this day and I, I want to get the movie on 4k to see if it looks any better and I, I just think it was a little out of it, a little have its time with Linda Hamilton being such a badass because you Don't. know back then we had 
Stallone and Schwarzenegger leading movies as badass action heroes, but you didn't really see many women, and she was freaking awesome. Wouldn't you like to argue that Sigourney Weaver paved the way for her with Alien? Totally forgot about it. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver was a trailblazer. But it was nice to see Linda Hamilton in that, too. Oh, I mean, yeah, the more She didn't take any crap from anybody. Right, absolutely. Um, Alien. Yeah. Go ahead, though. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Another one that I would like to submit that Lucas recently watched this, not super recently, but, like, within the past couple months, was Pretty Woman. Would you call it a blockbuster? Absolutely. Okay. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just asking. It was, um, it's, it's one of my favorite movies ever. I think it's, even though it is about a sex worker, it's very female-led in that, and I think it opens up everybody's eyes a little bit to that. Just because a person does a profession doesn't make that their whole person. You know, they've come to that in, you know, as a time in their life. Right. You know, she basically... She was like the, 20 in the movie, right? Yeah, and she had come to L.A. because she followed a guy out there and ended up not being with that guy. And this was sort of how she found to make a living. If you think about it, you know, women who might not have a college degree or money to go to college, you know, there's only so many choices. And honestly, they make fairly good money. So, well, what did you think of it when you watched it? I think it's a little dated in some parts, but... I mean, he didn't treat her like a piece of meat or anything. He might have been a little cold and callous, but I think that's how he was raised as a person in the movie. Yeah, I think that was kind of shown that he was like that with all Very his reserved. girlfriends. That wasn't her specifically. He didn't want to disclose anything that would make him feel vulnerable. Yes. I thought it was a good movie. Okay, if you're if you're going to force me, I'll give it an 80. 80's pretty good. I think it's just I'm not a big a I'm not movie. a big rom-com guy. Let me preface that. Yeah, I make him watch these. We do like some kind of deal where I have to give him so, a back rub. <laughs> so if if I if I watch a rom com and I enjoy it, eighties pretty damn good. Absolutely. Um, Alien is one I'm going to submit. It's I think it came out this in seventy nine. Yeah, nineteen seventy nine. I'm going to submit that one. I still think that holds up. That still that still scares the crap out of me. Yeah, I mean uh, that was one that I hadn't watched until you I met you. You don't see the monster. And... That's a that's the other one I was yeah. trying to. T- think of that's that's everything i swear and then when you see the monster you're not disappointed because i think if you saw that monster at the beginning you would you would kind of laugh but the build-up because you see the little baby version run out of the guy's stomach Mm -hmm. and towards the end when when the monster's like inside the the part where she's trying to get out Mm -hmm. like you're terrified i remember watching that when i was younger my mom had me watch it and i was blown away by it well i mean like i've never been one to be afraid of bugs or anything but like i think anything that's gonna like get inside of you right is really scary and like in um the mummy when they had those little scab scabers scabs whatever they're called those beetle things that crawl up inside your skin and eat you alive right i mean that's scary anything that's like can get inside your body (laughs) and alien has i think an even better sequel but a much more different sequel like alien goes for the slow creep build suspense aliens goes for like they're all over this place they're in your face yeah we're gonna kill them like we're gonna go in guns blazing pedal the metal type of thing absolutely and that was written by that was made by james cameron too so he's made some great movies i think he's an arrogant guy but you can't deny that he's made some really solid movies well i mean like that's excellent that he's had success but yeah you can definitely you can sense his pretension a little bit right you got any other ones? I'm trying to think of some. Um, I mean, The Mummy. That was one. That Ooh, was. Oh yeah, that came out of nowhere. That was late '90s or early 99. 2000s. Yeah, that 99. was. Um, I I love that movie. My, I know it's a little bit corny, I guess. My but... mom and I went and saw it on a whim. Oh yeah. And it was. We were like, wow, that was really good. We would do like in the summer. My mom, my brother, and I. We'd be home and we'd have like a marathon and we'd watch. But well, not really a marathon, but we watch one and two because honestly, three is horrible. The one where they changed out Rachel Wise for... Oh, I never saw that one. It's not great. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Yeah. Never. Jet Li's the villain, which is cool, I but... I think I would have appreciated it a lot more if they hadn't switched out Rachel Wise for... Um, I bet she said no. I can't no. remember her name. Let me look that up real quick. Let's see if you can think of another one. But, I mean, The Mummy, they're just great movies. I think they're really fun adventure movies, but they also have, like, the emotional tie of... You know, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz, and then in the second one with their kid, you know, so then their parents. I think 
very, very well done. Hmm. And then you've got, like, the funny oh. funny guy as her, her brother. He's always got something snarky to say, and he's always being really greedy about treasure and stuff. Rachel Weiss said no because she didn't like the script and she had just given birth, too. That's fair, but I guess in that sense I would have thought they hmm. would have either just not done it at all right. or made it not of the Mummy franchise. I mean, Personally. Yeah. I, never I don't saw know it. how you can just completely substitute the actress like that. She so was she a like, good part of the of the reason that I love that movie. I think she got way better looking in the second one, too. Like, the first one, I don't think she looks like the, the stereotypical librarian nerd. Oh, that's fine. She, she looks a, a lot better. I don't know. I think I think she looks fine. I think she just... Well, I never looks... said she wasn't... She was ugly. I'm not trying to get canceled on the podcast. I'm just like... <laughs> no, definitely canceled. a noticeable transition. Well, she also became... I think she was basically like... Whoa. I want to say she was like a virgin. Like, someone who, like, had never, like, thought about her love life like that. Rachel And then Weiss. she met Brendan Fraser, you know? Rachel Weiss had Darren Aronofsky's son. Then they split right after she had the kid. She married Daniel Craig a couple years later. Wow. That's an upgrade. She if had you a ask kid me. at age forty-eight. Holy shit! Wow. Huh. Good for her. That's a pretty pretty good-looking couple. Her and Daniel Craig. Absolutely. Okay. The second one has an amazing subplot with the characters that are quote unquote brought back from life mm. from, or from the dead. Anuk Sunamun and Emotep. I love that storyline. I was actually semi-obsessed with mummies for a little bit, because I thought that was so cool and fascinating. I thought that guy was Billy Zane for a long time. He does look very look just much like, like him. him, yes. <laughs> I'm like, is that Billy Zane? Then I looked, I'm like, oh shit, no it's not. Yeah, the Mummy trilogy I think is good overall. I'm gonna, three, I'm not gonna, I, I might watch someday if it's on maybe Netflix or something, but... Actually, it might be on Peacock, so maybe I'll just watch it one day if I'm bored. Just some, The just... first two are money. Okay, which one's better? The third mummy on this one or the Tom Cruise mummy? Ooh, that is a <laughs> tough call. I think, I think I'd probably bet on the third mummy I'd, being better. I guess I'd probably have to say this third mummy oh, as well. That mummy sucked. Thanks for bringing me back to life, dude. Remember Jake Johnson and as a I, zombie? I love Jake Johnson, but like, why do oh. they have to make him like that? I also hate Tom Cruise, so I'm a little biased on that. But I love Tom Cruise, but I think he's the biggest piece of shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you got to give him credit for Tropic Thunder, though. He was fucking hilarious. In yeah, Tropic but what, what, what did he play? A big piece of shit. <laughs> so guess what? It's he played very an fitting. agent, so he probably knows agents who were like that. He's probably like that in real life, and that's why it wasn't much acting for him. Yeah. He's not very good at it. And McConaughey was great. Maybe we should watch that movie again. Yeah, that movie's that movie's better as time goes on. I remember hating that movie when it came out, and I'm like, man, this movie's really funny. I wonder if that would hold up in 2020. Oh, I don't think so. Right off the bat, I can, you know, there's definitely probably stuff not. that. We can talk about it, but we're definitely not going to be in support of it. So, I mean, like, as we're, as speaking of, like, PC culture in 2020, um, we just wanted to say a little bit about what's been happening. You go first. Our opinion. Um, obviously it's awful. We are completely, I mean, as a, as a podcast and as a, as a family, we are not okay with any violence towards anybody, pretty much, Mm -hmm. but especially... Um, Towards peaceful protesters. Yes, peaceful. But, I mean, what happened to George Floyd is a tragedy that could have been prevented, and it straight up wasn't, and it's not okay. And, no, it's heartbreaking. I'm I'm echoing my thoughts on the Bacon Wire pod because we've been a little... We, we had a pretty good 15, 20-minute discussion about it, and I'm just sad like, I thought, I'm basically repeating what I said on that pod, but that's just how I feel. We are at a discourse even worse than 2016 when when Trump was elected. And I didn't think it would get this far, but, like, it's so saddening to see your president on Twitter saying that peaceful protesters will be handled with accordingly. I don't, I don't know exactly what he said, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to make up stuff. I miss Obama. I do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if you're if you're a right wing person, I'm not trying to bash your thoughts. You know, if you don't like it, you can unfollow and unsubscribe. I, I everybody understand. has their reasons, and right. you know, we're not here to tell you what to do or what to think. We're just telling you what we think. Like I have, I have family that are Republicans, and 
friends that are Republicans, but they don't bash it in my face. They don't beat me over the head with it. And, you know, I'm not going to, like, disown those people just because I disagree with their views. I think that's a little absurd, but everyone's different. And everyone has been affected by it more than I have, or maybe less than I have. So I can't speak for anybody, but that's just my piece on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm very glad because on the pod we were talking about, at the time, only Chauvin was... Uh, arrested and charged with third degree murder and now all four of them are in jail and Chauvin is whatever his name is Chauvin he doesn't deserve to be pronounced correctly he was charged with second degree murder which pretty much is a lock for prison because we were nervous that the third degree charge sticking means he's probably going to get off and that's usually what it means well from what I understand second degree means that he did he intended to kill him in the moment but it was not premeditated which that is my opinion of yeah. what happened. I don't think that he set out that day to kill Mr. Floyd. But they had but a personal beef think, with each other. And yeah, I do think that once his knee had been on him for more than he was 30 ready. seconds, then he just decided to keep it there and did not care that this person was pleading for their life. And that's murder. Right. Straight up. I, I wish that... And for the people who are out there protesting, please be safe and... Be smart about it. Like, you know, don't wear your contacts in case you get pepper sprayed. Bring cash with you. Don't bring your wallet. Just be safe about it. And, you know, if you want to riot, I understand rioting is the language of the unheard, but just be safe about it. As much as that sounds contradictory, you know, I I have a hard time with people rioting and destroying businesses just to do it. Like, I just see random people on the news just walking up to a window and hitting it with a baseball bat and walking away. Yeah. Like, that's not what this is all about. This is not what George Floyd died for. And that's what I have an issue with. But And even his own family has said, please, this, this has to stop. I mean, I'm all for the peaceful protests, but you draw a line, and even though that line, we all may disagree on where it is, I support you if you listen to this podcast a hundred percent you know you need to fight for what you believe in something i've taken away from this that i i previously in past years did not really understand is when i heard people say black lives matter i thought that was being one-sided um i now understand that it is not and that saying all lives matter is maybe true but it's taking away from the important issue at hand Mm -hmm. Um, i think the best analogy i heard is say a family sits down at the dinner table everybody gets a plate but bob you know bob says i would like some food and they're like everybody wants some food so that's fine but the person who didn't get it was bob that's you know pretty cut and dry but Mm -hmm. it's it's very important to to understand that right now and to try to educate yourself as much as you can i know i've been trying to watch some documentaries um about different stories that unfortunately have happened to the black community, and I think it's awful. I watched a documentary on HBO about Sandra Bland. I believe it's called Say Her Name. That was a really powerful story. I haven't gotten a chance to watch any others lately. Mm, me but neither. I also do want to say I think it's important during this time um, to take time for yourself to make sure that you are you are not overwhelming your emotional and mental capacity because all of this is very hard. It's very hard to watch, you know, a town that your best friend lives five minutes away from be violently rioted and have police there that are right. maybe not doing some right things. Um, it's it's scary, and it's scary to know that people that you thought you could trust in authority are doing these bad things. It's, it's all very scary. So just make sure you're taking some time for yourself to, to unwind and maybe take a little bit of a break from it here and there. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, don't stop, but a break is okay. You take care of yourself, too. Yeah. And, um, but just stay safe and, and fight your fight, but make sure you're okay to where people who love and care for you can make sure they see you again. Yes. That's part of it, too. I don't I don't think we need any anybody else dying. No. One death is too many. Absolutely. And the one death was George Floyd. And I, I hope... And, well, there's been way more than that, Well, I know. The, the one death to cattle, like the catalyst. Yeah. Like the first death was George Floyd, and that's one too many. Yeah. 
I hope that those four cops get brought to justice. And I don't know what the answer is with with maybe demilitarizing the police, but it sounds like Minneapolis is, is getting ready to reform the police, which is a step in the right direction. And that might, if that police department is doing it, then it might inspire others to change. Not everyone's going to. We have to accept that. But it'll inspire others who feel the need to, to do it. They will do it. I think that's a good way to end the podcast. I just felt it was important to kind of get ourselves out there and use our platform, no matter how big or small it may be, to kind of share our thoughts because there are some people who say, we don't want to hear from you, and there are some people who think, you need to be, you need to talk. Yeah. And we just figured, you know, we're not hiding anything. We're talking, and if you don't like it, if you you don't you don't have to agree with us one hundred percent. I think the main That's thing fine. that Lucas and I can say is that we we will never know what it's like to be black. Yeah. But we we can under we can feel for these people. We I, can feel we can feel for you. I don't fully understand what you're going through, but I support it. Absolutely. And I will never fully understand what you're going through. Or fully comprehend the magnitude of it. But I support you 100%. Absolutely. And Black Lives Matter, please stop saying all lives matter. Yeah, it's it's not the fucking time to say all lives matter. We need to rethink how we are as a country. And my final thought is, if you want change, there's one surefire way to do it. It's November 3rd. Yep. That is the way to do it. If you really... Do I think Biden's going to be the perfect guy? No. He has his issues. He has his flaws. But no one's perfect. Look at our fucking president right now. I think most of the time, in my opinion, when you're going to those polls, you're you're picking the lesser of two evils. Right. You're not picking an exemplary choice. Because, let's face it, all politicians are liars. (laughs) Right. But I, I think Biden will hear people more. Will hear more diverse voices. He won't call the KKK a good set of people. Because I think the KKK are the most despicable organization on this planet. Absolutely. And they should have been wiped out like they were in the in Watchmen. I think any organization that stands for hate rather than love is not great. <laughs> right. But that's, that's all I'm going to say is November 3rd, make sure you get your ass out and vote. Or send in your absentee ballot. Make sure you get it sent in. Don't just let it sit on your dinner table. Send it. Get the stamp. Go buy a stamp. Be heard. Yes. Be heard because that's the way to do it. If we all wake up Tuesday morning and realize Trump, or Wednesday morning, we realize this is his last two months in office, you know, that that's going to lead it's, the way for yeah, change. it's going to be a step in the right direction. Right. If he wins again, we just have to realize, you can't, you can't feel defeated, but you have to realize, you know, we just need to come together and, and not be so divided. Because if we come together as different people from different cultures and different areas of the country, that will stop his hatred. Absolutely. And I, I'm not trying to be so passionate about it. I'm not a big politics guy, but I am very upset over this. We it, all should be upset it over It hurts this. me to my core to see this country in such, I wouldn't say shambles, but we're angry. We're an angry country. Rightfully so right now. And 2020 has just been one hell of a decade, pretty much. Yep. You know, you start out the year good, then you have Kobe dying, and then you have COVID-19 coming right up behind him, and then you have this whole George, the George Floyd event. I, I think, though, that, you know, all these things have taught us stuff as a, as a people, and I think we can get better from it, and I think, you know, we, we can go up. We can, right. we can rise above, and we can stop. So we're going to end it here. Yep. I'm not going to close out with the Seinfeld music because it seems very uh, tone deaf. Yeah, maybe not right now. <laughs> but we're just going to end it by saying... Also, it's bad music. No, it's good music. But <laughs> we're just going to end it by saying Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. And if you want change, get your ass out there November 3rd. Educate yourself. Educate yourself on who you want to vote for. If you want to vote for the person we might not want to vote for, that's your that's your right. But know what you're voting for. But know what you're voting for and who you're voting for. Yep. Because they may look great, but you might see some stuff behind the curtains that they've done. And in this day and age in social media and technology, you can find out a lot about someone. Yep. Thank you for listening. 
Check us out on Instagram at Weekly Whitney Podcast. I'm on Twitter at MSU Devotee. Facebook discuss discussion group Weekly yep. Whitney Podcast. It's in our link for it's in our details. And we are on Twitter at Weekly underscore Whitney. We hope everyone stays safe, stay cool if you're in the heat. And take care of yourself. Take care of yourself and your friends and family. Go fight your fight and we support you, but be there for the people that need you too. Yep. We're going to end it with uh, saying Black Lives Matter and go vote November 3rd. Thanks, everybody. Bye.